Hey, buddy. Yes, Alice? I think I know the answer to this question, but I have to ask, how was your most recent viewing of Rogue One? Rogue One, a Star Wars story. A movie, available now to view on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, it got away from me this month. Yeah. I am, and have been absolutely swamped yeah Uh, and it's everything i mean it's work it's the world and as a result i haven't really had a chance to enjoy rogue one um since the last time we watched it tell you the truth i haven't either (laughs) yeah um you know things got kind of out of hand um and uh the Everything is a little a little crazy um, from the obviously, you know, negative things, but to the overwhelmingly positive as well. Uh, I've been particularly busy because I got a puppy. Yeah, you did get a puppy. I did. I got a puppy and she's the light of my life and has kept me really busy um, and has been like a total bomb on this uh, otherwise wild month. Um, and yeah. Uh, it's uh, I feel like it gets harder every month, especially since, like, I love, the, of course we love the movie so much, but it's so, it's so sad and so hard to watch when things are tough. And, and yet, the, like, the Star Wars Twitter and our Discord and, like, the clips that we watch for the show and, and like, making this podcast are, is another, like, one of those bombs on on the world, right? It's, even just being here, starting this recording is, I feel, I feel better already. That's true. Yeah. Um, longtime listeners might be aware that we don't just hit record uh, when <laughs> we get together. Um And it has been nice to catch up and to set this time aside and to say to ourselves, right now we're only going to talk about Star Wars. Um, And of course we're going to connect Star Wars to whatever else is on our minds, but now is our chance to say, Rogue One, we're going to talk about it. We're going to break it down a little bit. And we have a huge privilege this month. We get to finish the movie. We finished the movie. I can't believe it. After all this time. It's, yeah. It's finally here. Yeah, the end of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, which, uh, you know, thinking about where we are in the sequence of events for the film, there's not much left. No. Nope, there's not. We don't, um, we don't have a lot of, like, things to cover specific like not a lot of scenes not a lot of like variety of shots and not a lot of not a lot to talk about but it's these last few minutes of the movie that I think have left the strongest impression on a lot of people um and uh and there's there's enough here that we needed to dedicate just these last five minutes of the movie to their own episode 
I agree. Yeah. Um, when you say it's left the strongest impression, I completely get where you're coming from. I know that walking out of the theater, this is what had stuck with me after watching Rogue One the first time. Uh, it was how amazingly cool this final sequence is and how seamlessly it feels like it transitions into A New Hope. Right. Right. This this last sequence. So we're covering this month um, just the last five minutes of the, of the episode. Last week we... Or, sorry. <clears throat> last month we stopped at... Uh, at Tarkin saying, you may fire when ready. And uh, so from that moment, from the uh, Death Star launch sequence to the uh, rolling of the credits, that that's all we have to do today. That's all we have to cover. I assume this episode will be really long. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we're only covering five minutes, I know us and I know we'll have a lot to say. I know this episode won't be five minutes long because I just saw the timer on the recording past five minutes. So I know we're, <laughs> we're going to outdo the movie here. Um, but, you know, with this episode of the show, um, it doesn't really feel like there's a lot of character development to talk about like our characters have reached their end point um they have grown there's a little bit left to talk about with Jin and cassian um but nobody's going to be doing a lot of growing and changing over the course of this episode no this is a a unique one in in that respect because character development has been something we've talked about quite a lot uh for obvious reasons these characters are amazing um, but you're right. This is kind of the this is kind of the end for um, for our our crew here. Um, so, well, let's go ahead and get started. Yes, let's jump in. So right. So the first thing that happens, like we said, um, the first thing that happens here is we get the uh, firing sequence for the Death Star. A single reactor ignition. That should be enough for this small problem of rebels on Scarif. One reactor. Uh, a statement, not a manifesto, right? Sure. We're doing it and, again. And it's exactly what we expect from Tarkin uh, and how his characterization has been throughout this film. You know, he is able to operate with a scalpel, not a chainsaw. And yet, the Death Star is the galaxy's biggest chainsaw. And he's still going to try to use it like a scalpel. And he does here, right? Yeah, he does here. And while he's at it, he gets to take out his his worst enemy at this point. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> it's not the rebels. It's not the rebels. It's Orson Krennic. Uh, what, <laughs> what, a, what an amazing choice to make the Death Star just a little bit off target. Like... I can imagine a weaker film, perhaps, making the Death Star's beam go straight down through Scarif Tower. You know, yeah. Like that broadcasting tower. And that would be very Independence Day, and it would it would blow up all cool, and, and we'd all be like, wow, what a neat effect. But no, this beam goes right through Krennic in particular, <laughs> and impacts with the planet several miles away. Right. I don't know if it's just how the... Death Star beam operates or if it was a you know a, a mistake or if it's a choice um is this just how they have to do it does it have to be shot off you know for accuracy's sake 
I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it feels intentional. There's no way that Tarkin knows that Krennic's on top of the tower. No. And but there's somehow... no there's no way that they could aim the Death Star with such precision to take out just Krennic. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> and that's, yet, that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. The beam of the Death Star hits the very tippy top of Scarif Tower right as Orson Krennic looks up and sees it looming in the distance. Which is so beautifully poetic. Yeah. How, how beautiful is that? That is Krennic's pride and joy. That's his kid. <laughs> um, his and Galen's child um, looming in the distance. His worst enemy uh, in command of it. And, and it just, he knows what's happening. He knows exactly what's about to happen. And it's kind of a, oh, really? <laughs> oh, no, not oh. again. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I, I don't know, there's, we talked last episode about how Jin and the Death Star are siblings, in a way. Yeah. Uh, they both have hearts of Kyber, uh, and they are both the product of Galen Erso, metaphorically or literally, right? Uh, to have, to have an Erso destroy Krennic... I think kind of makes good on the question that I had for you last episode, which was, do we feel okay with Jin not getting her revenge here, right? Yeah, right, uh, like, exactly. Like, an Urso still gets him. Uh, right, and in and in this way, I guess Jin and Galen both get him. <laughs> they both, yeah. like, hand in hand, they get to destroy Krennic in a very, very violent way. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I, I got to say, before we move on from the Death, Star, the Death Star firing on Krennic, the ignition sequence has a series of shots in it that are meant to evoke a new hope. Yes. Uh, we see these shots, or at least very similar shots, as Alderaan is destroyed in A New Hope. And right before Yavin base is supposed to be destroyed, uh, but they get interrupted by Luke, you know, blowing up the Death Star. Right. It's a, it's the beginning of the, I think this is the, the series of shots that starts the like stitching and the weaving of Rogue One into A New Hope. Of course, we've had like references and, and, and not parallels. <clears throat> Um, of course, we've had references to A New Hope, and we know what's coming next. Like Dr. Evazen and Pando Baba. And Bail Organa talking about sending Leia after Obi-Wan. You know, we, we know Who what's going to Who served him well in the Clone Wars. <laughs> served him well in the Clone Wars. Uh, so we know what's going to happen. But this is the very beginning, I think, of the of, of how these movies will, will end up being sewn together, um, is this initial sequence. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, it's a it's a, a direct tie to the movie we we love and that started it all, um, and it, and also we get to see this beloved villain, uh, this absolute titan of Star Wars villainy, Orson Krennic, um, meet his very poetic end. I yeah. think I think I would have a few listeners uh, angry with me if I did not stop here to pay respects to Orson Krennic. <laughs> um, who was a, an amazing character, a wonderful addition to the story, 
um, got to come in as a villain and as a like an important imperial without undermining any of the original material um, and was given some incredible dialogue and was portrayed so beautifully by uh, by Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, it he just he he is a highlight of this movie for a lot of people and he totally deserves it. Yeah, how does one eulogize Orson Krennic <laughs> except to say he is the perfect villain for Rogue One? Yeah. Like, I I I might have said something like this before, but a weaker movie just leans into Tarkin as the villain, but. Right. Tarkin is not as thematically consistent with what Rogue One is. Oh. A side story, a Star Wars story, deserves a lower class of villain, I guess? To like like a less effective villain, a less um a less menacing villain, and yet a much more memorable villain. A mem- uh, a memorable like iconic yeah but less actively threatening uh and and relatable villain really yeah because like we said rogue one is it takes like the the grandness of star wars and kind of brings it down to like an individual level uh instead of the space wizards and you know giant battles we've got this we've got an intimate crew and a and the, these just totally normal, everyday soldiers that are the heroes of this story. And at the same time, our villain of this story is just some guy. <laughs> He's yeah. the middle manager of the massive conglomerate that is the Empire. Um, somebody with power and intelligence and, and wit, um, but with too much ambition and nowhere to put it. Yeah. And that's a, that's relatable. There's a reason why why this character has become a, a favorite of fans, and it's that we all know this guy. We've worked with this guy. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> no. I feel like knowing a Krennic in your life is a very common thing, for sure. Like yeah. a, a person who believes themselves to have worked up to a level of authority where they can, you know be terrible <laughs> um or or where they feel like they need to be terrible to continue to advance yes um and that combination of maybe a, a little feeling of like deserved uh spite towards the rest of the world but also a feeling of needing to be cutthroat to continue to survive at that level creates a really toxic personality Absolutely. And one that we that we see echoed in our real lives all the time. And um, and therefore that like relatable villain, this like ground level villain uh, is something that's perfect for for this story, this ground level Star Wars story. I'd like to offer a really bad hypothetical, Alice, if oh. you'll allow me. <laughs> OK. What if the villain of Rogue One is... I don't know. Let's go with the the least interesting answer. Like, what if the main villain of Rogue One is Darth Vader? Okay. And he's chasing the Rogue One crew and trying to hunt them down. Okay. Um, And we've got lots of scenes where instead of talking to Tarkin, Vader is answering to Palpatine. 
Ooh. So we've got a lot of the the Erso girl must be destroyed. And <laughs> we've got a lot of like, I will destroy her, my master. And Galen is like, I, I tried to get away from Vader, but I couldn't. He's too powerful. He can see into my mind. It's <laughs> It would be awful, actually. Oh, it would be really bad. Nothing, I, no, <laughs> no part of what you just said made me want to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it just, none of that sounds interesting which is so in, which is so interesting actually because like Darth Vader talking to the emperor and trying to stop the Skywalker boy is like the original trilogy that is like so Star Wars so absolutely elementally Star Wars right and yet it would not work here no no it would not i think Orson Krennic becomes you know this movie's Vader uh, a relationship with the Empire through a person that is exactly right for this level of conflict. And it, a, a connection to the Empire, but also an intimate connection to our hero. That's what turns Darth Vader from faceless, uh, you know, bad guy with a red laser sword to like a compelling interesting villain is his relationship with Luke with Luke as his father right yeah and so if Vader was our villain here we wouldn't have that connect I mean we'd have our fan connection we we, we know Vader but Vader is nothing to Jin but yeah Krennic unless, is unless the man who some, killed her mother <laughs> right unless by some miraculous retcon Vader uh is something to Jin, which just feels like uh, what what else did Anakin get up to in his life, right? Like, I, <laughs> I like, guess <laughs> I guess the, the the scene on the beach at the beginning where they're trying to get Galen to come back would have to be it would have to be Vader on the beach, but that changes the whole tone of that scene and why we love that scene so much. Right. This isn't this isn't a middle manager ordering a firing squad to kill a mother and kidnap a father. Right? Right. This is a space wizard. <laughs> threatening like, a man. To, threatening a yeah. man who, who literally cannot stand against him. Yeah. Uh, and, and I feel like that power differential uh, would be this huge gulf where now Jin has to be a Jedi or something. And, and <laughs> exactly. it just changes what the movie is. And Krennic keeps this movie so grounded in its unique identity, which again is real star wars people with real star wars struggles like it is so much more grounded than any of the mainline nine films exactly so the death star's beam hits the beach on scarif and starts to explode it and we cut back up to admiral radis Yes. Admiral Aratus, who looks down at the planet from above in his beautiful bubble ship and sees the shockwave of the Death Star explosion and knows that there's nothing more he can do. There's nothing more to be done. And so he says the line. Uh, <laughs> we've talked about how Radis is an emotional core for the rebellion at this stage. Right. And how he has been an active character and a leader 
that has shown what the rebellion is actually about. Which separates him from, say, an imperial leader. And now he gets to say the only line that somebody in Star Wars can say seeing something like this happen. Rogue One, may the Force be with you. It is not enough in this moment, right? To wish that the Force be with Rogue One. Rogue One is over. Uh, but it says it all. May the Force be with you has been used in a lot of ways in Star Wars, right? We've seen it in in this movie already. Well, we saw Jin gets to say, "May the Force be with us." Right. That's um, a that's more of a a prayer for favor almost, right? Yeah. When the Force is when we say "May the Force be with you" as a form of mourning or as a way to express loss it changes in meaning i think right it's it's not like i am one with the force and the force is with me which is i think like deeply personal to bays and chariot and something that we've talked about at great length to me may the force be with you is most powerfully used elsewhere in the series in The Last Jedi, when Leia and Holdo are talking to each other before they get onto their respective shuttles. Or Holdo doesn't get onto a shuttle at all. Right? Right. And they they have that conversation where they say, oh, we've lost so many. You know, we'll keep going. You taught me how. And the other example that comes to mind is when... Han is going to abandon the rebellion on Yavin base. And one of the last things he says to Luke, he kind of mumbles it out, right? Hey, kid, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Luke. May the force be with you. It's a really meaningful way to say goodbye. It is farewell uh and here radis means it as goodbye because he believes the entire crew of rogue one to have died in that blast um now we do have a little bit more time with the remaining members of rogue one just a little bit but i really like may the force be with you here may the force be with you here feels like it's not just goodbye but it feels like like he wishes the force to carry them on to whatever on means for for him for the rebellion for the Moncal, for for you know star wars in general as kind of like a secular existent like i don't i don't know about religion or the afterlife for the average star wars citizen um but this moment where he he knows it's too late he says may the force be with you he's you know he's no jedi there's no jedi anymore he doesn't know the idea of may the force be with you and then you come back as a force ghost (laughs) like 
He's not, he doesn't mean it like that. He doesn't know what that is. But he's saying the force that we know is our spirituality. Carry that with you as you go. And, and, and let it carry you as, as you go. Yeah. And, and I think another interpretation could be like, may the force be with you could also read as may your actions be meaningful. Yes. Like may what you're trying to do work out for you. Um, and I think what Radis is doing here is acknowledging, like, Radis acknowledges that he hears Rogue One, that they're there for them, and that they're going to do what they can. And seeing Rogue One now come to an end is saying, I hope that was enough. May yes. the Force be with you. May, may what your actions were down there may those be carried forward by the force to affect the change you wanted. Yeah. Uh, and it does. And so often in Star Wars, when characters hope that the force is with other characters, that is what happens, right? Right. May the force be with you helps Luke make his shot uh, yeah. on, in the Death Star trench run. You know, it helps... Um, it brings, you know, the hope and the inspiration that a lot of characters need for, for various, various actions and various, it, it serves often as a reminder, um, and like a, almost like a focusing agent for some, for characters. They hear it, they feel it, and it carries them forward to success. Yeah. Um, and this is no different. May the force be with you, Rogue One. And, you know, of course, they're not going to make it, but their legacy does. And they got the they got the plans. They're, you know, it, it, it wasn't in vain, but it feels like an insurmountable loss. Yeah. It, it, may the Force be with you is... It's not a prayer. I, I agree with you that it's secular. It's a saying. Um, almost like a folk saying, right? Uh, there isn't a spirituality being evoked here. It is all about, I hope that this makes the balance of the universe work better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. I think that's powerful. You know, there's there's a lot of discussion about what the spirituality of the Force is, and it has meant different things across different interpretations. A grounded movie, like Rogue One, gets a grounded version of the Force, and we see it everywhere, from Lyra's words to Jin, trust in the Force, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to this very moment. Um, we're going to see the Force, Soon, the Force is going to be used. But the Force has been so subtle in this film. Uh, and I think this is just backing that up. It's how we talk to each other about the world we want to see. It works. 
I like it. Me too. And so, the order is given. All ships jump to hyperspace. One of my favorite orders. Uh, <laughs> famously overheard in Star Tours, the original. <laughs> After you blow up that Death Star, which is either canonical or non-canonical, depending on how you read Star Tours. Um, You're going to have to tune into our other podcast for that one. <laughs> right. Uh, we hear, all ships jump to hyperspace because you're trying to get out of there. You just blew up a Death Star. We just got some plans. Try Time to get out of there, right? Uh, it doesn't really uh, work out for for our fleet. Uh, no. No, it does not. Uh, unfortunately, they uh, a lot of them, most of them, don't manage to make that jump. Well, jumping into hyperspace isn't like dusting crops. <laughs> you know, there's complex calculations to make. And so in that slight delay between the order getting given and uh, being followed, uh, a ship arrives. A big one. It, it belongs to someone we know. <laughs> it sure does. Are we dancing around this too much? Darth Vader is here Darth now. Darth Vader is here. Darth Vader's in the house. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Lord Vader will handle the fleet. Uh, and what... What I love about this is Lord Vader, Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker is at this point in his career an important person in the Empire, for sure, right? He is known, respected, feared, all of that. Right. He's also kind of just one of the most brilliant, cunning warriors ever known. Like, Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars was responsible for how many victories for the Republic, right? Countless. And now he's just cleanup crew on this messy little mission that managed to net the Rebellion some plans. Right. At some point between the end of the Clone Wars and now, Anakin Skywalker, greatest warrior that the galaxy's ever seen, becomes the Emperor's lapdog. Yeah. Um, he just, he becomes this kind of shell, really, of himself, <laughs> um, where he, all he, do, he just does the Emperor's bidding. Yeah, um, and it, I mean, he does it effectively, uh, massively effectively, right? Just incredibly. But of course. at the same time, does this feel like, oh, wow, what a brilliant move, Anakin. Like, you jump in just <laughs> in time to crash into some ships with your really big ship. Now what are you going to do? And oh, they, boarding party? Great. They prepare a boarding party, which I get, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, it seems really, it seems like kind of a lot, a boarding party. I mean, you have spaceships. Just <laughs> just blow the ship up. Yeah, right? he, he really wants, I think, I think there's a, there's an instinct here to capture the rebels responsible, right? And I see guess. And see just how much they know. Um, but also... I feel like maybe Anakin's just kind of flexing on him, for lack of a better I, word. Yeah, that makes sense to me as as someone who has watched quite a lot of Clone Wars recently. Uh, Anakin Skywalker uh, is nothing if not a drama queen. A yeah. boarding party. Prepare a boarding party. Prepare a boarding party. It's just like <laughs> so intense for him. Yeah. But it's also, it's not particularly strategically valuable or like important um like you can just the Death Star's built you can don't need you know you don't need those 
plans, they certainly, like, I guess are the only copy. I don't the, think plans. transmitting plans destroys plans, though. Oh, I guess the base is destroyed now, The base now, is though. gone now. So, so this might be the last remaining copy of the plans, and that does explain Anakin wanting to track them down by hand, right? Yes. Uh, and we keep calling him Anakin here, which is wild, because he's absolutely Darth Vader. He's absolutely Darth Vader, but he does show quite a lot of Anakin tendencies in this, uh, in, in this scene. I think, they... I think in the whole film. There's there's it's a lot true. more Anakin than Darth Vader. There's the extra nature of his entrance uh, on <laughs> Mustafar, right? And his castle, yeah. In his in his literal castle that he had built, Castle Vader. Yeah, good um, puns and you know. There's the puns and the choking, and it's just I I feel Anakin here. I feel a uh, kind of. A tendency towards unnecessary swashbuckling. Like, <laughs> I, I do, I feel that in the, in the characterization here. Maybe I'm projecting because that's what I like in Anakin Skywalker. Um, you know, the Clone Wars characterization and the desire to just run in and solve it with a lightsaber. Um, and yet, yeah, this is, this is Vader. This is a tool of the Empire. Yeah, when Anakin, this is something I I wanted to point out before we, we before we get to the last like action of of this film. Um, when Anakin, when Darth Vader gives the order to prepare a boarding party, something that I noticed on this watch that I've never ever seen before. Um, and it is so that the general or commander or whoever it is that he's talking to when he says prepare a boarding party that man at that point he's he says you know yes sir and he takes a step forward closer to the camera and looks out of a viewing window and the look on his face is devastating he in one frame of this movie captures a captures like an emotion and a reluctance a like a humanity of imperial like officers that no one else nowhere else do you see that he steps up to that viewing window and looks down at scarif and sees that explosion and his face just crashes he looks genuinely upset and it's you don't get a lot of Imperial officers that get to show any emotion at all, let alone one of, like, devastation. And it's the smallest shot. It's so, so quick. Blink and you miss it. But he seems genuinely upset at the destruction down below on Scarif. Is it because the Death Star is so unbelievably powerful? Uh, is it the loss of life? Is it the loss of an imperial installation? Is it just... Is it just pure shock? It's hard to tell. You know, we don't know. I don't even think this guy gets a name. <laughs> um, we don't know how he feels about it. But it doesn't look like he's just worried about the fact that's, that the base is destroyed. It doesn't seem like that's all that he's worried about. 
he seems to be concerned about the power the power of the Death Star and where they can go from being just oh we're like a really you know a really powerful government but we're still a government right we're not like a we're not a dictatorship we have an, an emperor they're but, literally but, called the empire no but i mean like they have the empire but the like they still have a, they still have the trappings of a senate and they still have you know the, those things are still real until right now this is the moment where everybody now knows about the de- about the death star and they are about to any second now tarkin's going to dissolve the senate and they stop being the they stop being the kind of empire that like has a cool imperial flight academy that luke skywalker wants to join and start being like a genuine terrorist dictatorship here i would like to push back just a little bit okay i feel like i feel like they definitely hit that point way before they fire the death star um and this isn't even the first time they fired the Death Star, right? right but, like the but, devastation wrecked on um, Jedha. But Jedha was a mining accident. <laughs> oh sure, and and also if it were an attack by the Death Star, it was on a rebel-controlled city, not even rebels, right? Partisans. Yeah. Um. So I I do I do understand where you're coming from. I think what you might be reading on his face is the the unique horror that comes from using a super weapon right like now we have this new thing this new force in the galaxy that later imperial officers are going to talk about as you know the most powerful thing in the galaxy a battle station beyond compare that nobody else can even touch we don't need the senate anymore we don't the other the other planets are going to fall in line because of fear of the of this battle station right and i think what he's seeing like for lack of a better word right i am become death destroyer of worlds <laughs> i it's it's witnessing an atomic explosion right it's it's saying oh this changes everything I don't think you're disagreeing with me. I Not necessarily. That's the same. I mean, that's essentially what I'm trying to say. Right. Is that what he's seeing now is the moment where things are now different. And he it does not. He doesn't seem very happy about it. <laughs> I no. think I think this man could have a, a, a story where he sees this happen and it scares him. Radicalizes yeah. him. <laughs> I, I I mean I feel like Imperials should be scared, right? Like fear is now the dominant thing that carries the Empire forward. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Hey, Alice. <laughs> yes, buddy. <laughs> Do you want to go for like a trip to the beach? Yeah, that sounds really nice. That sounds really nice. I've been Let's grab kinda, a, an umbrella, a couple yeah, of coolers. I've kind of cooped up inside for several months now. I could, yeah, right. I could use a trip to the beach. And this beach, it can be like at the foot of an imperial installation uh, that has uh, just been destroyed uh, with a giant laser beam from space. No. And. Um, no. I'm that gonna, doesn't sound fun? No, I'm going to go into say no okay. to that. Um. 
maybe we try another time. Okay, yeah, maybe maybe some other day. Of course, later this this beach is going to be totally glass. It's going to be just absolutely. <laughs> uh, we're we're talking about Scarif Beach now. It's Scarif Beach. We're on the beach now. Um, it's time to wrap up. It's time. It's time to wrap up June and Cassian. It's time. To, yes. It's time to. It's time to put them to to rest. Um. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. To put these two to rest. They've carried us through this entire movie. They're... I mean, there are there are heroes. These are our two main characters. It's Jin and Cassian, for God's sake. They're... I mean, we've, we've been following Jin from her, you know, from her earliest traumas and her, her youth... We've seen her go from apathy to devastation to, you know, fire and, and leadership. We've seen Cassian go from, you know, mindless soldier of the rebellion to free thinking, like, powerhouse. <laughs> We've seen him do spy stuff, assassin stuff, and, and come out the other side a better man. We've watched both of them lose loved ones. We've seen, I mean, we spent two hours with these two uh, and watched them, you know, watch them change completely. Watch them half fall in love with each other. We've seen, I, we've spent two years now with this podcast talking about Jin and Cassian. And now it's, now it's done. This is it. They're on the beach. They're on the beach, and they're the only two people in the galaxy. Yeah. I I feel like half-fallen love is such a great way to put it. Um, because that's, that's where they are, right? The, the, the refrain over many of our episodes has been, if there had been more time these two would have maybe maybe there was something there some kind of romance yeah or and, or not or not maybe but but we we you know you you in your uh in your capacity for shipping um you know and, and but it's it's hard to deny it's there there that chemistry right that trust they are they are each other's world or they could be and I, I what i what i love about the scene on the beach as they acknowledge what is happening to them at a speed that is impossible right like how how fast does an explosion move <laughs> but but they're looking at what they know is their doom they're beaten and broken. They have achieved their mission to their knowledge. There's only so much they know, right? But they have the hope. They do have the hope. And so is this is this the end we want for them? No. God no, right? But is this an end that works? Is this a good end? Is it an end they deserve? They deserve better. Both sure. of them deserve better. They were both getting better. 
They deserve the, this better. Is, but this is a they... movie that healed them both in 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 incredible ways. Well, it's easy to say that they deserve better. That they deserve to live. Right. I guess what I mean by deserve is, did they earn this? Because this moment for them is really peaceful. It's... There's no fighting, there's no crying, there's no despair. There isn't even any... The only thing they say to each other, Cassie, the only line in this scene is, your father would have been proud of you, Jim. It's not looking forward, it's not wondering what if, it's looking It's looking back at, at, at Galen. Cassian's mission the whole time was to was to kill Galen Urso. And instead, he finds himself in Jin's arms at the end of everything, talking about her father. And having accomplished a impossible mission. And as much as I want them to live, this moment of, of peace for them might be what they've earned all along. They deserve a good death. They they deserve to be at peace for the first time in who knows how long for both of them. They've been fighting since they were children. And all that's left at the end would be, you know, if they lived it, they, all that would be left is more war. Maybe they deserve to have to be with the force for a little bit you know yeah i i do know and i i think i agree alice i got i got a a comparison to something okay you can tell me if this is a non sequitur but um one of my favorite tropes in storytelling is when uh characters band together to fight a great evil and they overcome it and they win and they emerge victorious and then they have to deal with the aftermath uh and they have to deal with you know running a society or being a part of a normal society and they have to transition to that mm-hmm. um one character that manages that beautifully in star wars for example is princess leia yeah general leia organa she's um, the best she's amazing and her her tireless work after the destruction of the second death star i mean of of the main characters of the original trilogy she's the only one that sticks around to run things to make sure things transition effectively right yeah that happily ever after doesn't mean now we just forget about it. To, yeah, but... To people like Leia, it means happily ever after, so long as we maintain it, so long as we work for it. Yeah. And and Leia understands that responsibility. It's practically what she is made to do, right? Is to lead people through the worst of it so that there can be something better. Uh, for Han, it doesn't work out. He can't live in that world. It's not who he is. He has to go back to smuggling. It's 
totally wrong. He knows it. He could do better. And he goes back to smuggling. Luke tries to be a Jedi, tries to run an academy, ends up exiled on an island. It, it doesn't work out for him. He can't go from being a galactic hero, Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master, <laughs> to being just a guy who helps make the galaxy a better place, right? You you could argue that that's like the failure of our original characters, our original trilogy characters. Uh, Jin and Cassian, thesis statement, probably don't have a place even in the Rebellion post-Death Star. Like, these are two people that are fighters. They fight. They're scrappy. They don't organize. They don't work well with others. Cassian takes orders, but, I mean, he's different now. He doesn't just take orders anymore, right? Right. Jin, she used to not look up, and now that's all she does. Yeah. You know, she spends the, the last half hour of this movie going up, 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 up. And now she's on the beach, and she's still looking up. And so I do think they, yeah, need to die here. It's what these characters kind of need and deserve. Is an end right here, right now. So that they... Don't get tied up in all the other complicated stuff that's about to start rolling at the end of this movie. So that this caps it all off. Yeah, I think so. I think this is what they deserve. Yeah. Um, you've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> it's and, and deserve is such an ugly word when it comes to, you know, dying. <laughs> they don't, you know, but but they but they do. They deserve it. They earned it. They've earned the right to say enough. Like, no more fighting, no more running, no more. I'm done. I did it. <laughs> I got the Death Star plans. We win. Somebody yeah. is out there. Someone is out there. And why, why continue? For them, it's why continue to run, to race, to spend our last moments fight, 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 fighting, when that's all we've done forever and ever and ever. We're going to sit here on this beach, broken, and just hold each other for a little bit. This last moment of actual peace is something that they deserve, something they've earned. And it's heartbreaking it's hard to talk about when you spend this much time with these characters these absolutely wonderful compelling beautiful important characters that mean so much to so many people and to say yeah well they deserve they deserve death it's such like a hard it's a no, hard thing to say that's not what we're saying here it's at all it's not though. what we're saying they deserve they deserve rest they do exactly exactly they deserve a conclusion exactly I, I do not see a future for them that is more struggle that feels fair it's not fair 
They've been fighting their whole lives since they were children. Since There's, since they were six years since old. They were six years old. They've been their their lives have been tied to other people's fights, and now they've done the fight. They've done the thing, and now they can rest. And so we say goodbye to Jin and Cassia. Jin Urso, who smiles as she faces the explosion, as she faces the death that was maybe predetermined by her father's legacy, by her father's work. Um... She's eyes open, eyes to the horizon, and watches it come for her, accepting, and she holds Cassian. Cassian, who has been in the rebellion since he was six years old, throwing rocks at stormtroopers, and and fought fought so hard he lost his identity, found it again by partnering up with. This wild mess of a person, Jin or so. A hurricane. An absolute hurricane. And atones for the sin again. Not He never really did apologize for trying to kill Galen. No. He does a little bit here. Your father would have been proud of you is a... It's an apology. It's a... It's an act of penance. And it's a, it's like a, like a white flag of all the things that we've gone through. I'm sorry. And you were right. And your father would have been so proud of the things that you've accomplished here. Your father would have been proud of you, Jen. Yeah. And... He gets to put all of the horrible things that he's done in the name of the rebellion. He gets to put those to rest as well. And he gets to hold her in his arms as he goes. And I really, really love the shot where they're wrapping up into each other's arms and he kind of squeezes her shoulder. And they buries his face in, into her. And she, by embracing him, forgives him and and that's it. That's it for them. They get to go as like cleansed and forgiven and as restful as any as any two people of their temperament can be. And it's earned. It's deserved. Yeah. And it's lovely. And the music, God, that track, the your your father would have been your father would be proud of you. Uh or your father would be proud, I think maybe is the name of the track. Um one of the most beautiful pieces of of Star Wars music ever written. It's outrageous. It's it's a perfect scene and it's it's hard to watch every time. I'll tear up talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just thinking about it right now was tough. I I think we've done a good eulogy for them, though. 
I um, hope so. Yeah. Well, just like Orson Krennic, how do you eulogize these two? I think by saying that this is an end that they can accept, this movie gives that to them. It, it, instead of giving them one more thing to fight, a weaker movie, and I keep doing this, <laughs> a weaker movie has them running down the beach and jumping inside of some kind of bunker and like trying to survive, right? That's not what this movie is. No. And it, it, to to have that moment here would cheapen the film and, and cheapen the arcs that Jen and Cassian go along. It's about these characters reaching their logical end. And of course we want to see more of them. Like, of course we do. They're fascinating. <laughs> They're amazing. Like, fascinating of course... enough for us to turn this whole podcast into a thing. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're great. And, you know, of course we want a Cassian TV show. Like, <laughs> give us that as soon as we can. Like, oh, we, we got to see that. I'm desperate for news of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I don't need old man Cassian in the new Republic. Or the the new new Republic. <laughs> I don't need old man Cassian making cameo appearances in uh, The Mandalorian. <laughs> no. It, it doesn't make sense. No. He's done. And he he did earn it. He earned being done. Yeah. Um, one more thing in yeah. this. One more thing on the beach. Um, this this is our 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 last movie focused episode for now. Um, so I'm gonna go all the way back. I'm gonna throw back basically to the beginning. Um, and this is this is one of the first times we've talked about this uh, for for several months now. Um, but it seems fitting to le- to leave it here. Um, I'm going to talk about the, the, the old, uh, color theory for a second. Okay. So oh, the unified color theory of Rogue One. This is, yeah, this is, uh, you know, this was Ponders' whole thesis statement about the, about the movie. And, um, and so right here at the end, um, if you, if you remember the old color theory, um, if you, if you don't go back and listen to episode two. Um, in the color theory, we established that the nice warm color, the nice warm yellow orange glow color is the color that belongs to, uh, to Jin's mom. This is Lyra. This is a a Lyra color. We established this at the beginning when little baby Jin is in the, in the hole and she's got the lantern and she's trying to shake it. She's trying to shake, you know, trying to get the light to catch. She's she's searching for this light, this warmth that is her mother. And in the bunker, the light just won't catch. Her mother has just died. There's no light for her here. Uh, I think you might see where I'm going with this. Here in the at the end of all things for Jin or so. She gets to look into the explosion, which comes at them as a wave of golden light that takes them away. I think 
this is the place to leave the color theory behind now is the end of the movie with Jin or so dressed in black which was uh the the color we established in the in the color theory that as the that's the color Galen was wearing at the beginning Jin or so wears that borrowed black imperial uniform um and is taken away into the force by the warm yellow glow of her mother at the at the end of it at the end of things this this the end the end of her of her journey and as it as it began with the search for her family and the search for the the love and the acceptance and the the that that missing part of her which was looking for her family and for her mother the whole time um and it comes to her in the form of the Death Star, her father's invention. And in the warm yellow light of her, of her family, of her mother. Um, it's what she's wanted this whole time. It's all she's wanted. She runs away from the Empire and toward her family. And toward her legacy. And... There it is. She gets it. This is the end of Jyn Erso's grand arc. The end of, of this amazing character that we've, that carries this movie and that we get to follow and grow so attached to is she's given, she's given the end of being embraced by her family again. I love it. I, I don't think it's out of left field to say something like that. The familial connection to the Death Star is clearly established. I I don't know if I can completely 100% go along with a, a giant explosion is being welcomed home by your family. Um, it's metaphorical, buddy. <laughs> I know it's metaphorical. I Even metaphorically, it feels a lot. It feels like a lot. Um, but... Color-wise, and where Jin is emotionally, she's embracing Cassian, who is home, right? Welcome yeah, home. exactly. And then is enveloped by the color of home. Yeah. Um, where where I feel like light isn't just Lyra; it's it's hominess, right? It's that feeling of. Well, yeah, but for so long, Lyra, Lyra was, was home. home. That was right. that. That's all it could all, all that Jin could process as home. Right, and now and now here it is again. She's reached an end that is both connected to her family, like her biological family, and her new family, which is now over. It works. I like it a lot. It's yeah. beautiful. Well, now we've left our Rogue One behind. Rogue One is now with the Force. Uh, we've just got to tie up some loose ends here. We've got to finish stitching together Rogue One and A New Hope. And like you said at the beginning of the episode, this is one of those things that stuck with people that I would say is almost universally agreed to be 
the highlight of row one. Yeah. Which I now disagree with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Obviously, making a podcast about this movie has made me think that this scene, as absolutely pitch perfect as it is, and as cool as it is to see on the big screen (laughs) and the small screen, and as absolutely revealing it is of Darth Vader as a character, is not at all the highlight of Rogue One. No, it is not. It is a neat scene as almost an appendix to Rogue One. Take this out of Rogue One and Rogue One still functions 100% functional. (laughs) Take this out of Rogue One and Rogue One still functions as an amazing film. Yes. Yes. Of course it does. However, this, (laughs) this scene is... This this scene single-handedly still stands as the only scene that I am able to get pretty much 100% of Star Wars fans on board for. Even people who hated Rogue One love this scene. And it is has been, frequently is, the gateway scene to me talking people into liking this movie. <laughs> <laughs> when people say, oh, that movie, I hated, I hated that movie. That movie's stupid. It was pointless. Like, it served, what? It's just like one little throwaway line and plot hole, blah, blah, blah. You know, all of the criticisms that we've been getting over the years trying to make this podcast. Sure. I have been able to say, okay, but what about Vader in the hallway? And you loved Vader you in the hallway, Vader right? Vader in the hallway, right? And then, yeah, of course. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I do love that. Vader's, but it's just fan service or whatever. And I'm like, okay, but what if? <laughs> <laughs> what if there was more to the movie than that? What if you considered listening to this impossibly long podcast about <laughs> why the rest of the movie is also good? And it's worked a little. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it worked on me. It works um, on you. I am a convert to appreciating Rogue One on a level that allows me to make Rogue fun with you. <laughs> and the lightsaber igniting on the far end of the hallway, illuminating the silhouette of Vader, who then plows through a cadre of uh, re- rebel soldiers wearing their iconic lame helmets (laughs) and their little vests yeah like he just absolutely carves these guys up right yeah he he slams one against the ceiling using the force does he throw his lightsaber he does not throw his lightsaber but he does throw that guy up on the ceiling and then swings his lightsaber backwards and cuts that guy up without even looking at him which is the coolest the coolest shot. Maybe it's... the coolest thing anybody's ever pulled off with the lightsaber. He doesn't even look at him. And it, he's in the process of using the force to uh, pull weapons out of the other soldier's hands. Yeah. Um. At the same time that he's just cutting some dude up without looking. It's wild. This it's... scene is an, a masterpiece of lightsaber choreography. It... It's pure Vader, too. Is the thing. It's, it's like showy and it's fun. It's it's showy, but it's also brutally efficient. 
Yep. It's it's just inexorable, right? Like Vader will advance at a pace and you will die at that pace. Like that's that's the message that Vader sends here, right? Yep. It's deliberate steps through this hallway and a dead rebel at the pace that he descri- he chooses. Yes. He determines everything. Yes. I you will know. walk at the speed that I choose to walk and if you are there when I get there you will die. <laughs> yeah, there's a really infamous comic panel of Darth Vader which I know this this might be a bit of a deep cut but actually Alice I'm pretty sure you've seen it. Vader is standing at the bottom of like a quarry. Around him is a legion of rebels, like truly so many rebels, they're everywhere, right? Uh, and there's a speech bubble that says, we have you surrounded. And Vader replies, all I am surrounded by is fear and dead men. Oh. And then, uh, you know, I haven't seen the rest of the comic, but, you know, then he takes them apart, right? Vader is terrifying. Vader is a monster. And this scene finally gives us Vader as, like, a legitimate movie monster, barely lit, silhouette, inexorable. I love it. It's, it's great. It's so good. It's it's also, yeah, a little bit of fan service, but as a fan, who doesn't enjoy a little bit of fan service? Right? Absolutely. And And it sets us up pretty well for what we see vader doing in a new hope it's vader is given this this task to do and like when you called him when you said brutally efficient i believe was the phrase you use is is like a great way to put it it sets us up for a new hope in that vader has this task that needs doing and he's been thwarted and will not be thwarted again. No. Him standing on the edge of the of the platform as the tandem four flies away, and he watches it go, and he's standing there like with with wind around. I don't know. It's space, so I don't really know how that. I guess working. it's like the air being sucked into the vacuum. I guess or whatever. <laughs> it's very dramatic. It's very cool. Um and he watches the ship fly away and you just know, especially since we know a new hope, you know that he is committing the back of that ship to memory and saying, When I find it again, I will not have mercy. I will kill everyone on it and get what I am after. I'm going to get those plans. I'm going to get those plans. And and it it also matches kind of it's like poetry they rhyme, right? Like Yeah. Vader destroys his way through a ship and a ship flies away. Later Vader will board that ship, cut his way through it, and a pod will fly away. Yeah. And so it it just kind of again becomes the same thing but on another scale in another context and i think that's really cool um and of course the music swells and we hear vader's theme oh so good (laughs) it sounds so so good in this it Uh, seamlessly fits into the score of 
of the the rest of it. You know, it's not a John Williams score, but the the Imperial March coming in just slides right in like butter. It's yeah. really good. It absolutely totally works. I, I want to talk about one more thing before we leave Vader behind. Uh huh. I love help us in this. Oh yeah. Right? Like, what a way to add to the legend of Darth Vader. Right? Help us. Help us! is banging on the door, right? There's nothing anybody can do. Help you how. <laughs> That's Darth Vader. Um, but, but it just completely works for me. And... The last handoff being somebody's arm through a door. And and that being like the last thing that they do is get their arm through the door and hand off the disc. It works. It the it it, it creates so much more tension about this little disc. It absolutely drives home the importance of what's happening here. And I wanna I wanna notice one more thing about our conversation. We stopped calling him Anakin. Because this is this is pure Vader. This is the part where Anakin and Darth Vader intersect. We have been saying things about Anakin so far that have been about flashiness plus efficiency. And we we, we just said that about Darth Vader, even flashiness and efficiency. What turns this from Anakin to Darth Vader here while we stopped saying his name um, was the ruthlessness of this move. Anakin Skywalker only becomes a ruthless killing machine when he's really letting the dark side in. Um, why he kills all the sand people in Attack of the Clones and the younglings in, in Revenge of the Sith. And he, that loss of humanity, where he goes full-blown killing machine, is when he stops being Anakin and starts being Darth Vader again. This is, this is where he gets to be both, but mostly Darth Vader. Yeah, and a word came to mind while you were talking, and that word is joyless. Like, yeah, there's a little bit of mirth and humor in so much of what we see vader do don't choke on your aspirations but also (laughs) i find your lack of faith disturbing (laughs) you know there's there's still some anakin in him this is joyless this is this is a machine fulfilling a purpose more machine now than man (laughs) (laughs) and really he is in this moment for sure that mm-hmm. there's no Anakin here. This is all Vader. And, Absolutely. Uh, it, it really, it, it's wild to me how subconsciously we just switched talking about yeah, this character. Yeah, I didn't even notice. Uh, and, and yet, yeah, this is, we'll see him do Anakin stuff later. Of course, a lot of that stuff is kind of retconned. Um, but even so, it works from a characterization standpoint. This is just Vader. It's just a a guy in a mask who's real good at killing. And he's scary. It's... I get why it's so iconic. I get why it's everybody's favorite. It's not mine anymore, but it's very good. 
yeah, it's a it's an excellent scene. It's well, even just from a you know technical standpoint, it's well shot. It's it's well lit. It's it's tense and dramatic, and and it's really really arresting scene to to look at. Um, it's also yeah, it's it's one last moment of violence and um and action before the end of the movie. I guess we couldn't just leave it on the nice peaceful deaths of Jin and Cassian. I know we needed to stitch in Leia. Um, but you know, it, it's it, fan service. It's good fan service. It's excellent. Um, it felt, it feels like an extra button that didn't really need to happen in this part of the movie. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't cut it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and so let's talk about Leia and getting to Leia because then we eventually get aboard the Tantive Four and it launches and it, it launches in a really great kind of analog way. Like somebody pulls a lever and then it like unclasps and starts to fly away, which I think is brilliant. Um, one of those kind of lo-fi Star Wars moments that really makes it feel like it could work in Star Wars 77. Yeah, it looks, yeah, it looks really, it's a, it's a cool launch. Uh, Um, and then the disc travels through the Tantive to the, uh, to the cockpit. Yeah. And that's when we see her. There she is. Radiant and beautiful. It's hard to look back at it. Um, now that Carrie Fisher has passed and every, every Star Wars is hard to look at now. She was such a, such a, an icon and such a, a hero for so many of us, um, to revisit Princess Leia in that iconic white dress with the hood and the, that felt, it feels good to see her. It feels like coming home. This is Princess Leia in a Star Wars movie, you know? Um, it's not their best work of CGI. No, the, we love Tarkin in this movie, don't we? Yes. I think they spent more time on, on him. I, we, we spent more time with him, so it makes sense that they spent more time on him, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite capture, well, how could you ever really capture Carrie Fisher? Right. And so I think I think the difference is that Tarkin feels so distinct. Like his his features are so extreme, aren't they? Like Yeah. And versus Leia who softness is part of it for sure. So I think that makes the effect look kind of soft and blurry. Yeah. Um, even, even if it's the same level of fidelity, we get this softness to Leia saying hope, uh, that just feels less like it, like it's real. It feels more ethereal even. Um, and maybe, maybe that is due to the immediacy of Carrie's passing. Um, but... Yeah, it it definitely doesn't quite work, but it works for what it is. It it does the job. We we need if 
if we don't end with Jin and Cassian on the beach and we need to tie it to A New Hope, we need to finish that stitch, you need Leia. You, you know, we know she has the plans. She's the one that puts them onto R2-D2 and starts the, starts the film, starts the adventure, starts the saga that inspired all of this and keeps us going over 40 years later. <laughs> um, we need, you know, you need to have her. You need to put her in there. Um, and uh, it it's fine. It's just fine. There's nothing, you know, nothing remarkable about the about it. Just that it feel. If I mean, it feels good. It's just you know, it looks just fine. Let's talk about hope. Let's talk about it. Hope is a word, there, isn't it? It's the word. It is. And there's no way making that movie, writing it, shooting it, editing it even, that they could have known how important just the word hope would be at the moment that the film came out. No, there's no way. In December of 2016. There's that is no, when it came out, right? Yeah, December <laughs> okay. 2016. There's no way they could have known that the word hope and the phrase rebellions are built on hope. There's no way that they could have known how much that would resonate with people. Um, I think they definitely knew that it was something that they wanted to rest on in this movie. In this movie and in The Last Jedi, both. You know, they came came out fairly close to each other within a year. Within a year, they, they were uh, opposite um, opposite Christmas releases. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Last Jedi was the the following year. Yeah, um, I think that that was a refrain that I think Disney and Lucasfilm really wanted to focus on with the new trilogy, like in general. Hope is a, is a refrain that gets echoed throughout the whole sequel trilogy and this movie. The idea of looking for hope and 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 relying on it and it being questioned in people and then and then renewed when it turns when it pays off, you know, it's something that that feel it feels really deliberate because of how often it comes up. Um, but it's really important for Rogue One. The rebellions yeah. are built on hope and all of that is so such like a powerful refrain through the whole thing and is something that was really like needed for so many people um and is i think a big part i think that last that last line of the movie the the ending this amazing film on that button I think was exactly the right call. I agree. And I think it goes beyond like you said, it goes it, it goes way beyond a, a cheap tie to the subtitle of episode 4, right? Yeah. Like the thing about a new hope is that I never feel hopeless watching it. Yeah. It it is a clear progression towards victory. Like, I'm never sure that the Rebels are going to lose. I'm always like, oh, well, 
Luke's going to use the Force. Maybe that's because we know it so well. But... Or maybe it's because, like, you know, it's it's a story. <laughs> we know the good guys win at the end of stories, right? Right. But Rogue One doesn't feel that way. And it doesn't feel that way because our heroes don't win or survive. They kind of succeed. They, they manage to pass the plans to the people who will win, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't win. Um, and Hope here is standing in for the entire crew of Rogue One. What have they brought us? Hope. A chance. They kept taking the chances until the chances were spent. And this is it. This is their chance. We're carrying it with us. We're going to pass the chance on again when this chance is spent. And I think that's great it makes it part of a chain of events and it makes it part of just the larger narrative, the larger galaxy. And I like it here a lot. Yeah. It's a little cheesy. It works. It's good cheesy. Yeah. Star Wars needs a good healthy dose of good cheese. Yeah. Oh, especially if we're going to go straight from the kind of dour, grounded, very, very emotionally fraught rogue one to a new hope and actually i have a question for you here okay i'm sure you've done this rogue one and a new hope (laughs) double feature yeah does it really work it really works does it work because of this scene no not not exclusively because i mean it feels (laughs) it feels good this scene feels nice yeah um no, because, you know, you end it, you have to, you you know, credits roll and, and then you switch and then you the title crawl comes. You know, it's not like seamless, you know, but the the, the theming feels right. It, the I saw somebody on Twitter a couple of days ago say that their best, their favorite trilogy is Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, A New Hope. Okay. <laughs> to go and I but I was like I kind it's not that I agree it's just that that's a really really good lineup you get I mean three really excellent movies that thematically tie together with the idea I mean with the idea of of hope Revenge of the Sith ends so bleak um and and then Rogue One ends really bleak but with the idea of hope on the horizon coming and that, and then you get introduced to Luke and Leia who you saw being born at the end of Revenge of the Sith. It's just a nice, those are nice. Like it's, if you, I would never say to anybody like that's the best, that's the best best Star Wars trilogy. This is the best. But if you've seen a lot of Star Wars and you've done a lot of marathons in the same way over and over again, I would I would recommend it. I think that's a it's a good combo of of films. There's yeah, a lot we've got, a lot of things tie them together. We've got democracy literally dying to thunderous applause. Mm-hmm. Then the seeds of rebellion, and then the rebellion's first major victory. Mm-hmm. 
And and I think those three events do line up really well. Yeah. Rogue One so often as a as a Star Wars story as something outside of the mainline trilogies uh does get kind of sidelined, right? Maybe rightfully so. Um because it's about other characters doing other things. Yeah, it's not a Skywalker saga. But it it has so much about itself that is tied in stitched in is the is the verbiage you keep using and i like it a lot yeah but that is so stitched in that it can very easily function as that bridging text uh and i've never done a rogue one a new hope double feature um but i think it's kind of like shot and chaser if that makes sense. Something powerful and uh, maybe a little hard to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by something easier. Something more comfortable. Um, and maybe that's a, that's a very stretched metaphor. But also, I feel like that's their relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Make sure you secure the airlock and prepare the escape pods. Your Highness, the transmission we received. What is it they've sent us? Hope. Um, and so the movie ends. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's the movie. The credits roll, and it's a Star War. It's a, it's a Star War. Yep the the Star Wars title theme plays just like any other Star Wars movie, because now it is right. Here we are. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's Rogue One is not like every other Star Wars movie, but it arrives at its conclusion as a Star Wars movie. Like, it, it, it earns its stripes. And I think it gets that celebration in music with that... <laughs> exactly. We all know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not even good at music. Uh, but we get that riff, and we get the feeling of greater connections, which is what this movie's conclusion has been all about. Exactly. And it has been a wild ride <laughs> of a podcast. It has. It has. This is, I mean, gosh. I, I almost didn't ever expect us to get here. Talking about the credits rolling. Are you kidding me? The credits roll. It's a Star Wars movie. We're graced with that beautiful John Williams score. And... And now we're done. We're done. No, we're not done. Oh, come on. Did you guys really think we were done? We're not done. We can never be done. We can be done at some point, but we're not done yet. We're not done yet. I vowed to do this show until I dropped. And I hold to that. Um, we're done with the movie. 
but the uh but we're not done making episodes oh no no we are not um next month we are going to do a wrap-up episode we're going to talk about the entire movie um and kind of broad strokes what we've learned I'm going to revisit some of the earlier episodes and see how far we've come. Um, and uh, and I want to hear uh, your thoughts on the matter. I want to hear what you think about the movie. I want to hear what you've discovered over the course of this podcast. If you've been with us from the beginning, if you've just joined us recently, I want to hear everything. Um, so if you want to drop me an email, uh, alicewhitepodcast at gmail.com, send me your thoughts about the movie as a whole, about anything specifically we've covered in the podcast that made you think, I want to hear about it. And, uh, again, that's alicewhitepodcast at gmail.com. And I will respond to every message I get and we, we will read reactions on the show next month. And, uh, yeah, that, that will be our November episode. Uh, in December, we will be releasing a brand new commentary track. Yeah. In celebration of the, gosh, fourth anniversary. Can that be right? Yeah, fourth anniversary. Of Rogue One hitting theaters. We'll be watching the movie. And instead of uh, watching it live with some of you our listeners we'll be watching it together and talking our way through the movie in a sort of live commentary track yes so the we've done this before right or you've done this i've done this before ponderous and i did this uh, a couple years ago um when we were not even halfway through our movie watch uh we did a we did a commentary track that's available to listen on this feed Now that we've done the thing and we've watched this whole movie and did a close reading of every single possible minute of it, we're going to revisit the idea of commentary and check back in on the the film as it as it is as a whole instead of just in pieces um, and get our live reactions to that. And you'll be able to listen to that and hit play when we do and uh, and, you know, listen and listen along with us yeah i hope we still have interesting stuff to say about the movie i'm sure we will um (laughs) so that's gonna be a lot of fun and then in the new year in january the show moves on to a new format yeah in january we will be moving on to instead of watching the movie every month and uh and breaking it apart bit by bit we are going to be reading the supplementary novels that go along with the with the film. That uh, means we're going to be starting with, I believe, Catalyst. Yes, we will be starting with Catalyst, um, the Rogue One novel by James Lucino, um, which is the novel all about the origin story of Galen and Lyra. It's how they meet, how they get together, and little Jin. Um, and ends with how they end up on Lemu. Um, and so it covers their whole, uh, the, the catalyst, we'll say, of the uh, events of the film. And uh, it's a really good, it's uh, really, really interesting insights into all of these characters, especially Orson Krennic. Um, 
and so that will be our first read and we'll cover rebel rising we'll do the novelization we've got a lot of things to read so that that will be our 2021 adventure that's gonna be really exciting definitely um alice if people want to get in contact with us uh how is the best way to do that the best way to do that would probably be twitter since we're always on twitter never not on twitter you can find the show on Twitter at Rogue Fun Pod, and then you can find us individually as well. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at Alice White THP for those happy places, which is our other show that we do about theme parks. Yeah, and I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And if you want to continue this conversation with us, or if you want to share some of your further thoughts about the show and about the uh, and about the film, uh, you should probably go ahead and join our Discord server. Yeah, the best place to find links to the Discord would be on those Twitter accounts. Uh, so feel free to follow us there. Or if Twitter's not your thing, you could always send us an email. Uh, <laughs> Alice is at alicewhitepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> and uh yeah send us an email we'll drop you a link you can join our discord server we're always talking about star wars and disney and theme parks and you know all sorts of all sorts of great stuff um and we'd love to have you now alice what if folks out there want to support what we do in the podcasting space well if you'd like to support uh, this this podcast you the best way to do so would be to share the podcast with all of your friends and force them all to listen <laughs> and uh, and that would be like the best um, if you would like to support us monetarily you should join us on our patreon yeah patreon.com slash those happy places again named after our other show which is about theme parks rides and attractions this is the best way to support the show monetarily and we have some amazing patreon backers that are currently supporting this and every other show that we make. Absolutely. And one of the Patreon rewards that you can access is getting your name read on every show. That's right. Our amazing patrons, April L, Oslam C, Charles G, Ian E, Nick H, Reed J, AJ G, Joe W, and Kate P are our amazing patrons. Um, and if you want to count yourselves among their number, you should join us again at patreon.com slash those happy places. And there's all sorts of bonus content, including bonus Star Wars content in which we uh, do our best impressions of Pondo Baba and Dr. Everson. Absolutely. Which is one we of also, my favorite bonus things we ever created. It was so much fun. We also have uh, our live um post rise of skywalker thoughts uh so yeah we have lots of lots of bonus content on there as well as opportunities to get your hands on stickers and postcards and all sorts of fun stuff so uh yeah please consider joining us but if not that's okay just uh go ahead and share the show drop us a review um send us a a, a twitter follow whatever it is that you need to do uh to show us that you like the show we appreciate it we do the best part about <clears throat> well, let me try again we do it's amazing to know that there's anybody out there listening uh and i really do believe that someone is out there someone is out there <laughs> as jen would say <laughs> um alice thank you so much for doing this podcast thank with me thank you thank you thank you thank you buddy for doing this i can't believe that we did it that we made it 
that we brought the show back from hiatus and we finally reached the end of the film and that we get to keep going it's the it means the absolute world to me thank you for for everything alice i wouldn't do this show with anybody else you are my best friend and you are an amazing co-host i learn something new every time we start talking about rogue one you are amazing oh you're the best hey alice rogue fun pulling away. May the force be with us.